Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Today we have one of the best podcast hosts in the game, Mr. Chris Solomon of No Lang Up. Solly gives us his takes on the home of victory at Riv, Tony Fino, and the overwhelming influence that No Lang Up, Golf Twitter, and the everyday golf fan has made on golf coverage. We get a chance to talk about the inception of No Lang Up and the incredible progress they have made since the days of blogging in their college dorm rooms to now being a content juggernaut and one of the most recognized names in golf podcasting. So let's get into our chat with Solly. Enjoy. Welcome to the 4Jack Podcast. Welcome back to the 4Jack Podcast, brought to you by Jackson Labs, the brand consultants that we use to get our brand going in the right direction, and the brand consultants you should use to do the same, so go check them out at jacksonlabs.com. Really, really fun interview today. We are so jacked up for this uh, guy that we've been chasing down for a long time, catching the big guys. You know, that's what we do over here. Uh, before we get into our guest, so let's pass it on over to the man out east. Tombo, what's happening tonight, dude? Not too much, bud. Um, yeah, like you and me again, ultimate fanboys, right? Like this next guest that we have on today, we've already had one portion of the show, Mr. Neil Schuster, who is a great time and... Uh, this one's a player, right? Excited to get into. I know he's been working on some swing changes. I'm, I really want to dive into that and kind of what it's like working through that as a, as a good golfer already and just like trying to take your game to another level um, and learn a little bit more about some other things. We picked up a few tips off air already about recording our own podcast. So yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Well, our guest today is uh, undoubtedly, in my opinion, one of the best interviewers in the golf uh, podcast world host of No Laying Up Podcast, Mr. Chris Solomon. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful. Um, my wife is battling a little cold, and I think like it hit me like three hours ago. So I'm still going to bring the energy tonight, I promise. But I could feel it. I haven't been sick in like 10 years, and I could feel it coming. But if this podcast was an hour later, I don't know if I would have made it. But <laughs> dude, I'm here, I, and we're ready. Let's do I, it. I don't know if that's a sickness, dude. I think you might be just struggling with uh, the home hangover right now. I listened to his podcast this morning he did with Shane Bacon, the Get a Grip podcast. And first off, he admits that very soon that he's hungover, which he did not need to because you could tell you could tell in someone's voice like what it, what it sounds like to be hungover. And I don't know if I've ever done a podcast hungover. That would not go over well. But uh, he sounded like he had a lot last night, which uh, not one single person on the planet's going to blame him for that. No kidding. I was listening to your podcast last or this morning, actually, and I was like, God, these guys are getting act, like jacked up with this. I'm like... This might be a rough interview tomorrow with the guy. <laughs> we, I mean, it's, it's so weird to, you know, we, we, we try to say a lot, like create your own reality with golf, right? You got to find your own guys that you really want to root for. And it's, we know, we know we're in a very privileged position where we get to know these guys and get to kind of become friends with them. So it's, it's super easy to be like, Hey, just like, you know, find a friend on the PGA tour. And then it becomes really fun to watch. But what Max does, I think is even if you don't know him, he's so available I know it's super cliche now for just as soon as he comes on the screen to say like, oh, he's very active on social media. But he is one of the few people that acts like a human on there. And so people feel like they know him and they feel like they're rooting for a friend more than they feel like they're rooting for a millionaire or rooting for a pampered tour pro or somebody that has it all because he makes his thoughts very available. He's, you know, he has a podcast where he talks about the things he's working on week in, week out. 
documenting the struggles of what it's like. And, you know, if you if you pick up on some of these guys and go star them in your app and follow them week to week, this is a bad example because things have been going very great for him, for him lately. But like, go see it week to week. Like, go see the miscuts. Like, there's so many people that tune in and watch golf and just, you know, check in to see the names of the leaderboard. And if certain people aren't there, you don't think about them. You don't think about the fact that they just went across the country and, you know, got a hotel for six nights and they were away from their family and they practiced and they played and they got nothing out of it. And they went on to the next location and went on the next location. And there's so much that goes into tour life and being successful. And he knows how freaking hard it is to win and for it to fall his way yesterday. That's a true dream come true for him. And it was, it was so much fun to watch. He could have made the three footer on 18 and made a lot easier on everybody. But, <laughs> when he smothered cool. that thing left. Uh, at least like, and again, he, he called in for the show for three minutes last night. He said, I was so nervous on that putt. <laughs> you just need somebody that's going to tell you that, right? You know, it, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would have felt nervous, but he has no hesitation to just tell you exactly how he felt. Well, when Joe had to tell him when he was about to make that tap in, it's okay, slow down, slow down. Like you could tell he was jacked. I said yes. that to one of the boys, one of the other guys here that does pod with us and we're sitting there watching. He was smiling on after he made that shot coming in. I'm like, this guy needs to calm down. He hasn't made the putt yet. Like, let's just, let's ease up here. But. I thought it was over. I, I, I really did think it was over. And I mean, according to Nick Faldo, if he would have left the pin in, then maybe it would have gone in, which somebody's going to need to explain that one to me because <laughs> it lipped out on the left side. I don't really know how that pin was going to help. But uh, of course, that went unchallenged. But, uh, but yeah, it was, I thought, everyone has those putts that like seemingly they can be for whatever you are trying to achieve in golf and three and a half feet looks like eight. I mean, it just, it, you don't know how to take the club back and just to hear a pro say that he's going through kind of the same thing that, you know, a lot of other people go through was quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, even just on our level, like when you're playing against buds and I'm sure you guys know it, yeah. like tourist saucing, right? Like, DJ, I think, missed a putt to win once. And it's like, yeah, just when you have the opportunity to win and like, yeah, there's like pressure no matter where you're at in the game. Like, obviously, a million six is is a little bit different. But like, yeah, it's like it's all scalable on like a relativity factor of golf, which is what's beautiful about it. Because it's like it doesn't matter if you're a 20 handicap playing with your buds in a scramble and you're trying to make that last putt to like get the birdie. And you're like, you're nervous about it, right? Like, because you should make it. But like. Sometimes you don't, and it's, if it means something to you, like you're nervous. Like uh, I missed a two, like a let's call it a four foot eagle putt to beat DJ in the last tour of sauce season, and I play in some decent sized events and that are on bigger scales than that. And I was dead nervous over that putt. I just totally, totally was. And it's just a match against my buddy, but I wanted to win. I really wanted to win very badly, and I was nervous. And I missed it. I mean, there's just no like you can't. Somebody's got to teach me some way to be to get over being nervous and not standing over a putt and fearing missing it because I, no matter how many times I do it, I still stand over several putts and just kind of tremor over them. Just start popping beta blockers before every round. It's it's yeah. not it's not healthy. It is super <laughs> not healthy. I'd like to get your hot take on Tony Fee now, real quick. Oh, like, please, just the guy's obviously amazing at golf, and it's just like it's it's kind of sad to like see this guy that like is always there top 10 all the time but like it's almost like max when he did miss that three footer you're like okay all the momentum should be on tone and then he put that ball beside the tree and then it's like okay tony like where's the killer instinct my friend maybe you're just too nice 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's, you know, a case of being too nice. I think it is, it's a confluence of a lot of things. If Tony gets in the top 10, 37 more straight times going out from right now, I bet he probably wins about six or seven of them. It's mm-hmm. just like the way the math should fall. Yeah. It just like hasn't fallen his way. If, if the numbers stuck out that like he sucked in final rounds and, you know, every time he was at the lead, he faded. And every time he was kind of 10 or, you know, 15th and had a great round and finished eighth to kind of, you know, screw up that stat or whatever, I think there'd be something there, but the numbers just like don't support that. Like then it should say, you know, he's, he's had instances where he hasn't, you know, hit the shots down the stretch, which you're going to have that. D- Dustin Johnson had that this past weekend. He didn't mm-hmm. hit the shots coming down the stretch and didn't win. Nobody says anything about it, of course, justifiably, because the guy goes out and wins all the freaking time, right? Yeah. So how it keeps happening to Tony, I still don't know. It's amazing. We've been having this running bit and argument about it on the podcast for a year now. And like as we come up on this bet that we made, the end of this bet that I thought he was going to win twice between... Basically, like concess- he had to win twice before concession, um, and it, I like was holding out that he would win the last two, so I would win the bet. But concessions the last counting, events, though. He, he goes fourth, second, second, and second in the <laughs> last four. Like, how does this keep happening? I don't know. Yesterday was the best final round I've ever seen him play. I think the strokes gain would say it was the best final round he's ever played when he's been to get in contention. Max yeah, could have just Dude, made that putt on eight. Freaking ball! Like the it guy was, the, was unbelievable. Yeah. It was the worst thing Max could have done was miss that putt, let him in the in the playoff, and then let it end on Finau missing a putt after this miraculous day that he had. Um, man, it it we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the pod too. It, it bothers me, I guess, to see somebody be punished for success, right? And that if Finau finished top, you know, t twenty five every week, we wouldn't have the conversation about him. We wouldn't say why can't he get it done? Why can't he get it done? Why can't he get it done when? In reality, he's going out and beating like 98 and 99% of the top players in the world yeah. every single week. Like it is absurd. And it is has a lot to do with the way golf is presented on television. The way, you know, they are asking golf fans to care about golf is just based on who wins, right? When you're coming down the 18th fairway and you're um two shots behind. They're not illustrating like, hey, if he if he makes birdie here, he gets solo second. That's a ton of FedEx Cup points as if we'll care about that. Or that's this much more money. That's many more Ryder Cup points. They just don't program you to think that. They'll say, needs to hold it from the fairway or this one's over. And it's like, well, no, second place is different than third place on the PGA Tour. It's third place is different than 10th place on the PGA Tour. They just do such a terrible job of telling you that. So golf fans are programmed now to think like every time he gets close and doesn't get it done, why can't he get it done? Like what, you know, why does he keep failing? Whereas I, I think about, I try to compare it to like some tournaments that I play in. And if I went all around the country everywhere and played in these tournaments and the same dude was finishing third and fifth and second and fourth, I would be like, Whoa, man, that guy beats me yeah. every single yeah. week. Like that guy is so freaking good. Like the fact that he didn't beat everyone in the field this week doesn't really bother me or change my opinion of what I think about this guy. It's just like that's how we're programmed to think about golf. And um, I, I wish I could explain it better than that, though. It doesn't make any sense because that, you throw that many great 72-hole rounds out there with that kind of skill level, you would think you would get more than one of these done, but it just hasn't worked out that way. Well, to kind of like piggyback on what you're saying, even with the coverage, like trying to create this different narrative, I mean – the PGA Tour and the coverage is trying to create like 
they want to create a hero, kind of like, you know, we had those years of Tiger. You, you want to see this icon just continue to lift. And it's like, hey, man, like, let's maybe remember the, yeah, second, the third, like, that's really good. That, that means a lot. And, like, to go back to what you're saying with Max, I mean, that means a lot to that guy. And, like, that was something I kind of learned through No Laying Up. Like, when somebody kind of out of nowhere wins, you're like, man, that, that means so much for that guy. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, he's not the fan favorite, but, like, this guy is, like, that changes his life. And even for Max, like, you know, three more years on the PGA Tour, doesn't have to worry. Great, man. Like, that's huge for your confidence, especially a guy who's been playing so well. Give Tony the second. Hey, man, you made a ton of money in the last little while. You're good. This means a ton to other players. So, just yeah, and it's back. almost like, again, back to the how, like, the media and the conversation around, like, yeah, if he doesn't hold this, then it, he's X, but it's like, when he gets that post-game interview and they just keep pushing, and even us, I guess, right now, me me pushing the narrative, right? But, like, it's mostly because I want to get your take on it. But, like, yeah. Then, but it's a hey, fair Tony, question. It's yeah. an important conversation to have. I mean, like, I it is ridiculous that he hasn't won. I just, I, I get upset when people point it out as in, like, kind of making fun of him coming down the stretch. Like, oh, you're not, like, I don't know. That, that just bothers me because... I know I don't know what it takes to compete at that level, but like you play some tournament golf and you're like, you have so much respect for these guys that are there every week and, and just constantly, constantly, constantly. I, I got really upset when DJ said something about not having him on the Ryder cup team because he can't, you know, <laughs> win these stroke play events. It's like, dude, this is the exact formula you want on a Ryder cup player. Like the guy that beats players all the freaking time, but a random whack-a-mole just keeps popping up in every tournament that he goes to, to beat him. It's like this, this is the exact kind of player that would succeed a lot in Ryder cups. We saw that in France too. And who's a team guy, you know, people love the guy. How can you yeah. not like the guy? And he does a ridiculous amount for the community from what I've heard. So it's like he's taking his success and he's building on it, which is like that's where I make my funny comment about him being too nice. But like I know it's not. It's kind of like I was at the casino once and there was a run of like 18 blacks and only two reds in a row. And it's just like that shouldn't work that way. But right. there's these anomalies in life that kind of come up. But again, what you said, if he were to go 37 more times in the top 10, like statistically he's got to get a couple wins out of that right like it just do that again and you're gonna find yourself at the top but it's weird to manage that pressure now i guess maybe like because it is that conversation of like yeah it's fair to have it but like it, i'd be interested in how he's internalizing and how he digests it maybe we need to get him on the pod and talk hmm. yeah i almost gotta feel bad for how often he's probably getting asked about it right you know yeah just it doesn't seem like people want to ask about all the success he's had over, over the recent years. And just like it, it sounds so dumb to dumb it down to this level, but just like how freaking good at golf you have to be and Seriously. how accurate <laughs> yeah. he is and how good he is at attacking pins. And his mid range putting yesterday was so good. It, like I, I, every, I end up picking him in our, in my picks almost every week because like, there's not a golf course that doesn't fit the way he plays the game. Like I, if he if he ends his career with less than 10 victories, I'd be surprised if he stays healthy. I mean, he's truly just now tapping into how good he can be. And once the top comes off, I hate giving away wins because it's something announcers do all the time. It's true. It's only a matter of time. I'm sure many more to come. There are common phrases and it's just mathematically not that easy to do it. But if he had it, I should revise that if he wins, if he won six times in his careers, eight times, that would be kind of in line with what I would expect. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you guys, 
You guys have been talking about this for a while, and we'll kind of go in more into like the no laying up side of this, but like also including the coverage. You know, you guys were mentioning, oh, you know, they're listening because they have kind of been listening to you guys in the last little bit. And you know, you've had Nance on, you've had these other guys that have made these comments about things that you've said. Like, how, like, honestly, like, in a way, jarring was that when you first kind of had even say Nance say some of the things to you that you've mentioned many times on the pod? And you're like, holy man, like, this has an impact. Like, we might be getting somewhere with this. Yeah, gosh. I mean, it was especially before we did this as a full time job when you know, I think Tron wrote up like a big scathing review of either Pebble or Riv one year. And it was just like, man, all it was was just like a list of everything that happened in this hour of, of TV coverage. Right. And just to see it spelled out like they couldn't run and hide from that anymore. And they kind of panicked. We were nobodies. I mean, nobody was really actually reading this thing, but it made it to CBS's desk and they start asking questions and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, CBS went to the tour to kind of, you know, try to figure out what the hell's going on with our partnership with the tour, our relationship. Why are we getting access to all this when they're making fun of you know, criticizing a media partner and all that? And you know what was crazy about that whole process? And it, it wasn't nobody was telling us that we were wrong, like not even CBS. Yeah. The people that we talked to at the tour were not like you, you, you know, the CBS is doing a great job. We love it. The people at the tour were kind of like. You're not going to tell anyone that said this, right? But like, if we say the same thing, same things to them, but like, hey, can you just tone it down a little bit, blah, blah, blah. And we'd be like, yo, no, like, we don't work for yeah. you. Like, we don't, that's not like what we're here for. Like, I appreciate you're making that request, but that's like not how we're going to do things here. Um, we felt, we, and I still feel this way that there is something going on in golf or has been going on in golf in a, for a long time. And it's this big circle. And it's, you know, if the sponsor's happy, if the players are getting paid, if the networks are making money and, you know, there's this that little circle of things going around works, then professional golf works, right? Because the money's going to be there to pay the players and to put it on TV. And if networks are going to pay for it, you know, that's more money for the players as well. Whereas where does the golf fan fit in any of that? And it almost became this thing where like the golf fan is such a valuable fan. I've heard this thrown out that the golf fan is worth five X what an NFL fan is. Right. So in terms of just like loyalty and support, who you can, who you can market to, right. The affluence of golf fans. So the ratings don't matter nearly as much to golf. At least if you're not pulling in a ton of viewers, you're still going to get that core golf fan, no matter what they're going to watch it. It's going to be that, you know, older fan that has money to spend. And that's why you see private jet commercials on there and, mm-hmm. you know, erectile dysfunction commercials and all that. Like that's marketing study, right? So all that works. So here's me, a younger golf fan, not that young anymore, that wants to just like watch the golf. And like I can scream it from the rooftop like, hey, 18 minutes of commercials in an hour is not how I would spend my time if I didn't have to. I, I can tell you this. I wouldn't watch pro golf if I didn't have to. I'd watch it on the, I was at a, a friend's house in Tampa this past week. He has YouTube TV. He just like fires up the, the broadcast from the day and watches it and skips the commercials and like does it without even thinking. And I was like, oh my God, I wish I could do this because I have to watch it live. I have to yeah. be commenting on it live. But he's just like, oh yeah, I would never sit through all the commercials, but he's able to, to deal with that. And it, it just seemed like the fan needed a voice here to be like, yo, why, why you can't be talking about wanting to grow this game, wanting to become more popular, like trying to reach all these fans. If you're going to cut away from PGA tour golf and show a commercial for PGA tour golf, 
and then follow it with another commercial for PGA Tour Golf. How is nobody else talking about how this is absolutely ridiculous? Yeah. And we kind of just – you got, then you start to realize how much the media organizations are all in partnerships with all these tours and sponsors and all that thing, and they don't want to be critical of them or they're going to lose access, blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of had to be like, all right, our lane is like going to be representing golf fans. You have, have to talk like that. You can't be you know, a product of the system here. You have to be not, a, not just – against the system in nature you just have to be willing to speak out and potentially alienate yourself to speak your mind and that's something that has been difficult to balance over the years we're getting better and better at it and more confident in what we have to say because if we felt like we were wrong on this or golf fans are being like no golf telecasts are great like you guys need to shut up we would but that's just not the sense we're getting right and it's it's interesting even because like what's happened in the stock market recently with wall street bets and the game stomp game stonks right like it's like this periphery of like the people as a whole speaking up and like you can even see it in the golf because now they're they're showing ads but they're also showing the golf at the same time so it's like that feedback is like slowly working its way into the system where it's like this just isn't working because like eventually now you telling everyone that's on our platform about hey you could just go to youtube and do this and like this is how your friend watches golf like if they don't figure a way to balance this, like people are just going to do that. Cause we're like, we're connected. Our generation is like, no, if you don't listen to us, like we'll find another solution. Right. Yeah. And that's like another thing we always say is like, everything's fake. Right. So like yeah. all the numbers that are just shared in this stupid media world are fake. And honestly, we kind of feel like idiots sometimes because like the numbers we share to our sponsors are the exact numbers. We don't, like juice, are, there's so many ways you can juice your numbers. So like all these fake engagement numbers that they're delivering to their sponsors, all these replays that they're doing to reach certain viewership numbers, and you know the video, like the 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 pure volume of tweets that go out tournament week of the Honda Classic that goes into a slide deck that says we have two million followers. We tweeted this many times. Multiply that, you got. 50 million impressions out of that. So here's your get us money for this. Do all this. It's all just like as fake transparent stuff. as it can be. Yeah, it's just fake. So like they can make up a story that, you know, makes it look worthwhile to a sponsor to to to, you know, to buy these things and like how many long-standing sponsors do you see on the PGA Tour? Like yeah, a few, but like tour, right? They Open cycle through them. Day. They go through them and you just need like the right people, you know, and, Gosh, there's some Fortune 50 companies that have, you know, told us like, yeah, we're we're not going to spend any money with the tour past this because mm -hmm. they are just too difficult to work with, blah blah blah, and all that. So, it uh, it's a it's a weird little world out there, and I, I really do think they're missing a great opportunity. They missed a great opportunity in the Tiger era to capture golf fans with interesting golf on television, and it's. Just the idea, so many of the things we propose, so much, the answer that we get every time is like, well, you don't know how to produce TV. Like, what, what would you know? It's like, you're 100% right. If you put me in Sellers Shy's chair or Tommy Roy's chair, it would go very poorly. Like, For I sure. do not know how to do that. There's a lot I of stories going on. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, you, look right. at, you know as well as anyone, there's a lot of narratives happening at once. And it's difficult to do. But at times, it's like, hey, man, I, you know, for example, like Victor Hovland yesterday. <sighs> Had no idea he was <laughs> even that good. And it's like, man, like this is a guy that like everybody actually enjoys watching nowadays. Why are we yeah, not it, seeing a shot? And it's it it took honestly for me to get into Formula One to really start to like everything always being met with excuses. I watched Formula One broadcast, right? And it is 
you know, an, an hour and it's two hours long. The race is an hour and 50 minutes, no commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, does the, the structure of their sport is different. They have 50 million sponsors all over their, you know, everything they do. It's race. It's a, like a meme at this point, it's like racing, but they are able to run their sport with no commercials. All right. Mm-hmm. What that does is means that I can, I know exactly where I need to be to watch and I know where the racers are. It's going to be the same racers every week. That's why this premier golf league thing is extremely interesting and not dead yet for the record <laughs> is they have this model that like really, really, really works. And, while they don't have, you know, 70 guys on a golf course at once in different parts of the of the of the golf course, in a Formula One race, you have 20 cars, you have 20 conversations between the engineers and the racers, and all these races going on in different parts of the track, right? And you can follow it a little tighter than you can 18 holes of golf, blah, 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 blah. But what they're able to do in those two hours is incredible. When Max Verstappen's tires are bad. He communicates that to his radio engineer, and somebody's listening in on that, and they are in the in the truck. Tires are bad. Boom. Get the caption up on the screen so in case somebody's watching with the volume down, and they, within, I don't know how many seconds, 30 seconds of him saying it, something goes up on the screen, you hear the conversation, you hear the clip. We can't get golf shots like live. Like Never. We can't get – you you they can't like manage the flow of, of the golf shots, and here they are in a live race where cars are going hundreds of miles yeah. an hour passing each other. All of these little intricate races going on at once, they work their butts off to tell you that story. At no point do I ever get the sense that like the golf broadcast is working their butt off to get the story in. Like it's, it has no intimacy in it. It has no. It's the same corny jokes week after week. The same talking points. The same just like voices. Same mundane thing that I'm not like following. Like listening to learn anything. And it just. That model is not going to work long time. I don't need to watch it. And that is a problem that they have. But I think that the thing that you guys have always kind of talked about, and I, I think we've talked about this many times as well, like, and, you know, with this addition of potentially Phil jumping in a little bit more into the booth, like, why, why can't it, like, like you said, just be a pod, just sit there and chat, like, make it like a baseball game. Like, you don't really need to be telling me about everything. I don't care. Just tell me about the odd shot and just tell me a story. I'm going to watch the golf regardless. I don't really need to hear, you know, Nick's comments that I think are just useless or when, you know, when you make the change and Davis Love comes in, I'm like, I don't really like you or Mark Immelman. I don't really like you either. And like, you're just boring. Just bring on, like, I like, even like Michelle Wee coming on. I like you. You have a good, good opinion on the game. I want to hear what you have to say about this. Just talk. I don't care. I think it's just bringing in that youthful, like energy because was it ESPN that brought on uh, Drew Stoltz, I believe, or Colton Nose, Colton one of those Nost. two guys, to do some commentary? And it's like, yeah, it's just like our generation is underrepresented in that world. So I guess like Colts fantastic. One well, one and it's 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 uh, another thing that I another job I don't have interest in doing is being on air announcing, right? Because of the current structure and the current commercial load, like it's just jam packed. Like you just, the windows are so tight and it's mm-hmm. thrown to you for like, Hey, eight seconds for you to introduce a shot and say something insightful. That's not easy. Like, I think I would probably reduce myself to platitudes if I had that job too. Like just, but the whole structure of things is just off. Like I just don't need to hear from that many different people yeah. on a telecast all at once, unless they've really got something insightful to say when, when something's about to happen, we've been hammering on this forever the on-course audio just needs to be there. Like, we need to hear these players talking. We need to hear the deep breaths. We need to hear some of the aggregation in their voices when it happens. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why people don't want the hot mics. 
my saying like to that it. would be, hey, man, you're getting a lot of money. Uh, one, like also just don't like say shitty things on there. That mm-hmm. would be probably the best way of, of you know, be a, if, if you're a good person, you shouldn't really fear the hot mic that much. Um, and I don't know. It just it, it, the whole idea that everything could be reimagined is so it's you know what's the most frustrating is to watch the things we've been clamoring for slowly roll in year after year after being told for years that things can't happen yes. oh the coverage gap 30 minutes uh, it has to happen so we can change the graphics over from golf channel to cbs okay well now you made it 15 minutes and now when the basketball game goes long you put cbs on the golf channel like all those are things were oh, that, that. in 2018 when they came on a waste management on saturday they went 48 minutes without golf shots being shown on tv because the basketball game went long and the coverage got and like we screamed it from the rooftops and they were able to do these things they just needed somebody out there to like and i'm not taking full credit for that it's mostly golf fans that are screaming on their couch like how are you messing this up week after week mm-hmm. and and it's not it's not CBS and Golf Channel's fault. It's the tour's fault. It's the way these contracts work that they've kind of sold their soul to sell these rights, and they're so letter of the law in them that they forget. Like, like we do content sometimes. Like a lot of times, it doesn't have a sponsor attached to it. If their players' championship gets canceled and we need an emergency podcast, people are going to want to hear that, right? So we'll go do it. Like we're not making money off of it, and it's you know we don't have a sponsor for it. Whatever it is, like we do a ton of video content that has no sponsor to it because it's for the audience, right? Guess what? That audience is going to come back. And so when you do have, you know, sponsored content or things that you are trying to sell, those numbers are going to be bigger and you can sell it for more money. Like that's how any kind of media company is going to work. So the tour, the way they treat these moments of like, well, you know, contractually, you only have the rights to air this many hours of coverage. Like, we can't let you do any more of that. It's like, do your fans want to see it? Like, do you think that would probably be a good thing long term for the golf fans to be able to see that stuff? For a long time, their attitude was, no, this is the way the contracts are. You will watch this online if you want to. Mm-hmm. And what happened this past Sunday when they finished the third round, PJ Tour Live crew was out there filming it, producing it, and airing it almost commercial free. And it took six years of us yelling about it to make it happen. Again, I'm not claiming full responsibility for it, but we know for a fact beyond any shadow of a doubt that they're listening and that it has had an influence. It's kind of like, I appreciate the effort you made, but you also kind of created a monster here because now I know you're listening. And I'm just going to keep throwing stuff out well, there until you, you can't keep escape it anymore. Like, come on, if the golf yeah. channel is using Twitter and they're talking about tweets going on, yeah. clearly we see the golf Twitter is talking. Don't hide anymore. Just deal with it. But before you spike your mic down out of a fit of rage for the PGA Tour and the coverage, let's go to your uh, the content that you guys are creating. Uh, been a huge fan since day one with Tour Sauce, and it's crazy to watch the evolution that you guys have had with it. It's been, you know, it's funny. I watched the, the Australia one like a couple weeks ago, and I was like, this is like night and day. Oh yeah, like even That's just the, the way that we you need guys to go speak. back and redo Australia. We did Dude, not know what sure. we were doing back. Then. I was in <laughs> Australia when I first watched. Like I was living down there when you guys kind of first had that come out, and I was like, God, I was like, I wish I could have been around for that. Like, just take them somewhere. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, it, it was such yeah. a trip that I I sat there and I was like, God, this is what I want for our group. Like, this would be huge. Yeah, you could see kind of pretty easily all the things we learn and. Back then, we were not of the opinion that people would sit and watch 30-minute golf video that we, of us playing. Like We were just like, it's got to be quick. It's got to be a quick hitter or else nobody's going to watch it, blah, blah, blah. And we just, it's something we learned that people are like, no, make it longer. Like, go. And we've had episodes approach an hour long now. Mm-hmm. And 
it's not something that we again it's just kind of like you have to take the feedback from from your audience and you know now we feel kind of silly that we went to australia and shot like we literally shot less footage for that whole trip than we now shoot in a day in tourist sauce because like one we got way better equipment now we actually know how to use it we know how to storytell a lot better now and yeah now it's actually kind of nice so we've made a good enough excuse that we'll need to go back and redo redo that season maybe go to some different courses as well but kind of give australia probably the uh the love that it needs scotland for that matter too we filmed scotland in one of the most beautiful settings ever all on cell phones for an entire summer which that's so just, crazy. just like hurt. It pains for me to say yeah. like, it's, <laughs> it doesn't you know, get the it, justice it deserves. Well, we have like a, a much more long-term mindset on this stuff now, right? That's going to live like, as far as I know, it's going to live on YouTube literally forever. So uh, it's kind of like, you know, fixing something around the house, right? If you're going to be here for 30 years, you just signed up for it. Like it might as well be hung straight, right? It better be on there. Good. There's no point in rushing to get it done. If, if you're going to hate it while you look at it every day for the next 30 years, that's kind of how we are with the video stuff now. It's like, it's going to take a lot more effort on the back end, but like this is part of, you know, whatever, whatever this is, is in, in the smallest of small ways, it's like part of golf history forever. And it's going to live there forever. It's part of like the content we're creating. It's going to live forever. It might as well look as good as possible. Well, it's been totally. good too. Cause uh, you guys have been open. Oh, sorry, Tom, go ahead. No, that's all good. I was just going to say like, yeah, kind of touching on that. Like I feel like in some weird universe, like, we're the Canadian version of you that's just a few years behind you because like we have we had a guy on the pod who is basically responsible for the golf instruction of like everyone in Alberta that like if you became a PGA professional in Canada you learned Alan Riley's philosophy and it's like it's kind of an honor to have him on the pod and be like this is your philosophy this gets to live here on these airwaves forever that when people are going through a program and they hear the name Alan Riley and it's like it's pretty cool to like how's that history of golf, right? Like, and it's a cool format to do it where it's like, yeah, it's a podcast or a YouTube video where like Bali Bunyan, like I love that episode of it because Chris, he's been he's been shouting no laying up off the rooftops for a long time, and like finally I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna sink my teeth into this, and like slowly I've just like grown an appreciation for all of you guys, right? Like Neil, Randy, Tron going left handed, right? That's crazy. DJ is like, yeah, like it's just a really cool dynamic. And I like that you guys have kind of taken that like ownership over, like this is kind of the history of golf for like the next generation almost in a sense. Right. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, I remember a writer friend of mine or uh, of some kind in, uh, you know, I asked him like, you know, what's it like being a writer? And he was like, yeah, you know what? I enjoy it, but it's not great great like i've got unwritten homework for life Mm -hmm. and i was like oh man that does sound stressful and i had a prior job and i did not picture this becoming a job and now i you know as you get into it you start picturing it as a job you start figuring things out and then like one day i woke up and i was like oh my god i've got unwritten homework for life like i've got unfinished homework unfinished homework sorry unfinished homework for life like I, for every day that i live i could be doing something creative and i'm not yeah. doing it whereas like my old job that was not necessarily the case so there's a lot of pressure that comes with that um but it's like gosh every every bad day you have with this job is you know the greatest day i would have had in a, in a, in a previous life so it's 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 weird to kind of make that transition to having a dream job that you wake up and do every day and not I don't want to say 
it, it, it is work. Like if it does become work, I, I wouldn't say I love it any less. It, it's not, it's weird. It's hard to describe. It's it has not its stresses. Work. Let's not kid ourselves. It does. It, there's, there are stresses and there's things that, it, that, you know, are part of any job that you don't want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's any job ever. And I'm not complaining about my job even remotely in that regard, but it's, it's, uh, it's just very different. It, it's when every day is a high, it's hard to recognize the really high ones, which again is the craziest problem to ever compa- compare about. But sometimes you will have like this day where I'm like, oh, I played 18 holes here, you know, with this pro. And then I interviewed this pro at night and I get in my couch. And I'm like, oh, thank God that day's over. And I'm like, you Tough. idiot. Like, why would you like, what, what are you talking about? Right? Like you're just exhausted. Like you're trying to get, you got your mind on what you have to do the next day too. And it, every now and then you need to just like take a step back and realize what you get to do. And I used to think it was the craziest thing in the world that like these pros would travel to these cities and not want to go play all the amazing courses in the area. And like three years into doing this full time, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah totally I understand now. that. Like, yeah, I totally get it now. Well, that's even for battles. My, yeah, it's like even for myself. I mean, you, you, I mentioned earlier that you're doing some editing tonight. And it's like, yeah, I take care of the editing with the pod. And I'm, sometimes I've come home from my job and I'm like, God, I really don't want to do this like at all. Like I'm tired. And then you do it and you're like, if that's all I had to do, I would love my right. life. Like if I could just interview and edit, I'm like, sure, man. Like that sounds great. Like it's just, there, there is that time. And I remember listening to you guys when you made that full transition, especially more Neil and the other guys. And it's like, okay, now it's full time. Like now you can dedicate this time to it. it this is life. You know, when you can make that transition, get over that hump, it, it becomes so much easier. But like where I wanted to go back with this is like I tried to ask Neil, but, you know, he was like, I'm the shop guy. I run, I run the small shop. And merch yeah, the merch are. Um, I really want to go back into like the inception of No Laying Up. Like how did that kind of just transpire? Like I know you guys were all kind of close going back into like college days, but how did that moment just click where you went, OK, like I think we're going to take this. I wish we documented that a little bit better, to be honest. I, I have like the version in my head of how I think it all went. And I, it's, I've told it so many times that I think it to be true. But honestly, if somebody was like, yeah, that's not true, that might be the case. But me, Tron, and Randy were all friends from college. So Tron lived two doors down from me in the dorm. And he was quite responsible for me getting a 2-4 in my first semester. And it's, I, I tell my parents this, and I promise it's true. It's not because we were partying. We were playing Tiger Woods and NCAA football till 4 in the morning, like every single night. So... Uh, he was a bad influence on me. We got to be good friends. Bad he guy. ended up being in the same fraternity with Randy and the three of us became friends. We would go, uh, I, I grew up in Dublin, Ohio and the Memorial tournament came to town every summer. They would come down every year for the Memorial. We'd go drink and party and watch golf. So we were kind of founded in this love for golf. We'd play golf that week and, you know, we're all in a text thread for many years, just like throwing college football bets out there. We'd bet the full slate from NFL football on Sundays, you know, argue about all this, blah, blah, blah. And the golf blogosphere was kind of, or not golf, I'm sorry, the sports blogosphere was kind of taken off. We were big readers of every day should be Saturday and college football. And like the Reds, like I'm a, me, and, me and Randy are big Reds fans and we would follow all the Reds blogs. All these things were happening and golf just didn't seem to really have that. And we always said like, all these bits that these guys would come up with, you know, would just build on each other. So like three years into a bit, the proper like application of it would make me just like cry with laughing. Like so funny. Like how did you 
get to calling like Brendan Steele, like the ace of spades, because you call like players you don't want to root for terrorists. And like you've made all these like layers of the bit. So we're like, what if we did that with golf? Like, what if we made a website? And we, looking back at it, we didn't think podcasts. We didn't think video. It was like a blog, which, mm-hmm. you know, we are not really special writers. And there was a lot of blogs out there. And it was kind of a silly path. But shortly after doing that and kind of, you know, investing some time in, in Twitter, we were like, let's get a recorder and let's do a podcast. And the first one we recorded was April in 2014. And it was just like, kind of sounds a little bit like the podcast we do now. We talk over each other, we drink and we yell at each other and argue and we record it. And so people liked it. And then we just kind of recorded one here and there and people liked it. And there weren't really podcasts in golf just yet. And, uh, I skipped past when we brought Neil in. So we brought Neil in quite shortly. Uh, when we started to build out the website, when we transitioned from just a Twitter account to a website, we brought Neil in and he, you know, started making merchandise for us and really running all that shop, literally mailing out pieces of merchandise, you know, uh, out of his apartment in Brooklyn or in San Francisco. I forget where he was at the time, just mailing them out by hand. Whereas now we have like a warehouse full of stuff that we ship out hundreds of orders a day now, you know, sometimes thousands a month. And it's crazy how it's grown in that regard. But so we just, it grew and grew and grew like that first thousand was really hard. The first thousand followers, readers, you know, listeners, whatever that was, was really hard. But from there, it started to snowball a little bit. And tour pros started getting on board, following us, retweeting us and sharing it. And once it, once it kind of got a little awareness in that ecosystem, we were like, what if we got players to come on the podcast and talk about it? And, First player I ever asked to come on was a rookie at the time by the name of Justin Thomas that people had heard of, but he had time and people hadn't inundated him with interview requests yet. And he followed us on Twitter and laughed about it. And we DM'd it from back and forth, you know, back and forth. And he came on and told stories for an hour. And that was like a great success. It was, it made wavelengths. And now when we go to ask the next player, Billy Horschel or whoever it is, Charles Howe, I forget who was next. They're like, oh, JT did it. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it. Blah, blah, blah. And little did we know, like, it was really growing faster than we realized. We had a horrible, like, data counting service that was way underestimating how many people were listening to the podcast. And I find out, I, Rory McIlroy started following us, which, you know, was unbelievable when it happened. Speed followed us the next week. And then when I went to a golf tournament, Rory knew who I was, which I couldn't even, like, like fathom this happening. I was living in Amsterdam. I was on the other side of the world. I didn't know I'd never done any of this in person. It was all so abstract to me. I'd be traveling somewhere in Norway and tweeting some dumb read meme from top of some mountain and act like I was watching the golf. And it was taking, it was all just so surreal. And so when I met Rory, he was like, yeah, he like mentioned that he listens to the podcast. And I was just like, what? Like, how do you, why would you do that? First of all. And, and so then it was like, well, would you ever want to come on? He's like, yeah, sure. Like, just just shoot me a DM. We'll do it. And I shot him one. He never responded. And I was like, oh, I totally creeped him out. Like, this is not going well. And like three weeks later, he's like, oh, sorry. I've been off Twitter for a while. Let's do the podcast tomorrow. And it was like, oh, all right. I think things are about to change. And then when we published that one, that's when everything changed. And, you know, sponsors started calling and we started to realize, hey, we maybe actually have a little something on our hands here that we maybe, even though we could see it growing in front of our eyes, we kind of didn't want to believe it was real for quite some time. And uh, gosh, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but it was just, I remember just the crazy exciting times of like Jordan speak, just retweeted this, like 2 million people are going to read this when like otherwise 500 people would have. And that was just a, 
a crazy, crazy time in my life. And I, one, I couldn't, uh, this is a path I could not have predicted uh, that I would be on. How long did it take for you to get over like the fanboy status? You know, when you're sitting there and you're like, oh my God, like I got another tour player coming in. Like I'm going to converse with the guy or even like a commentator where you're like, you know, like we had Gary McCord on a couple of weeks ago and it's like, I was sitting there, I'm like, I've been listening to this guy my, my whole life. Yeah. You're like, this is just weird. I think I faked it long enough to like get used to just being like my, 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 my rule from day one with all those guys was like, dude, treat them like they're humans. Cause yeah. everyone, you know, kisses their feet everywhere they go and like, you know, freaks out and everything. It's like, you, like you can give them shit. Like you can make fun of them. You can tease them. You can speak to them like they're a human and they're going to respond to that. They're going to be drawn to that. They're, you know, and that's, that's kind of how I, and I, I guess I got used enough to doing that that I, now I don't even think about it. But at the time, it was kind of like, oh my, like I was taking screenshots of the phone call lasting an hour with Rory McIlroy because I was like, oh, the audio is going to get lost or something bad's going to happen. No one's going to believe that I talked to Rory for an hour, blah, blah, blah. And then like like six months later, he, you know, he and I were sitting down just like having coffee off the record and just like hanging out a little bit. And that felt surprisingly normal, but like a little bit of times, you know, you're, you're just wondering like, why the hell is this happening to me? Like me of all people, like how and why that was a, a kind of weird thing to come to terms with. But I think a lot of players recognize like pretty quickly, somebody that's like super into golf that has a ton of enthusiasm for it, that I can relate to that is a peer that isn't out to get me. That's like kind of willing to let me tell my story a little bit and, you know, talks about the game the way that I would like to hear people talk about it. Like I'm okay to give some of my time to that person. That's probably over complicating it, but that's probably what their instincts were telling them. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a good, a good thing for their brand, if you will, to be associated with people that are becoming popular in the golf world. And so all boats kind of rise in that situation. And um, it took me a while going to golf tournaments to feel comfortable walking inside the ropes walking you know taking a shortcut across a fairway because i've been to a lot of golf tournaments as a fan and you're not supposed to do that and i didn't feel like this still was my job i didn't you know i still feel like i was cheating i felt like a volunteer was going to yell at me blah blah now it's like no i'm there to do my job like i'm not there at a golf tournament to be a fan i'm not there to observe i'm not i'm rarely there to drink beer sometimes i will still you know go do that but it's like post around i need to get I need to get from here to here and like, I'm going to cut across and like, I'm going to walk across the putting green and I'm going to walk across the range. Whereas I was so shy to do that initially felt like everyone was staring at me, felt like wondering like, why is that guy here? When in reality, like there's managers, there's, you know, people that are there that you see out on the circuit that are just there to do their job. And it's really not that special when you really break it down and get used to it. It's not that special to walk out in the range on a PGA tour event. Mm -hmm. Now rewind five years and tell me that, if I was like, if I ever get to walk out on the PJ Tour range once and talk to players, that would be the coolest golf experience of my life. But it is kind of just a thing you just kind of get used to. But that's also you know, an experience you had to get through to get yes, to the point that you're at now. And it's like, for it's sure, good that you had that where you go, you know, it was exciting feeling that like you, you want that in life. It's necessary. And it comes. Yeah. Some of the dudes that like have been on the beat for 20 years, like kind of just treat it. You know, I'm not saying they're lazy, but like they just kind of treat it like going through the motions out there. And it's still like a thrill to me to go out and watch, like just name it. I'll go watch Tyler McCumber hit balls. Right. So it's just, is that going to directly translate to any content that I'm doing? Probably not, but like maybe I pick something up there. Maybe I understand the shot shape that he plays. Maybe I understand, Whoa, he's got sneaky fastball speed. Maybe it's, you know, I didn't understand that he hits it kind of clunkier than I, than it, you know, all those things just kind of all contribute to, 
your ability to talk about golf a lot for many hours every single week because you kind of got to fill the tank a little on a lot of those things with stories to tell and whatnot because you can only say the same you know pro golf isn't that exciting sometimes you kind of need to get creative on what you talk about mm-hmm. i think it's interesting because i always take the approach to like almost everyone's eaten Mexican food and had an upset stomach afterwards. Right. So there's like, you just got to break it down to the very human element of life. That like, these are people that have emotions and they feel things and whatever that may be. Right. Whether it's Tony Finau wondering like, okay, when's my time? And it's just like, you connect with people on a human level and like the real ones recognize that immediately. And they're like, okay, yeah. Like I know in my life, like Rory growing up getting in and like, if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Outsiders, it's like most of these people are super successful because at some point in their life, someone was like, I'm, you're coming with me. We're going to give you more opportunity. We're going to get you better coaches. We're going to do these things. So they know that. And it's like if you if they see your passion, because like my life's been a little crazy. Golf has been a major focal point and it's brought a lot of opportunities to me. But like just having that curiosity and passion for what I'm trying to build in life, like people are willing to like, once they recognize that and you treat them like real people, they're like, okay, yeah, like I'll give you some time, right? Like don't try and like abuse that, but I'm here for you. Yeah. It's yeah. You definitely have to have to find the balance. It also just helps like golfers are extremely relatable just in stature, right? They blend in with like, uh, you know, uh, we, I went, I mean, Rory, Rory's got to be what, one of the mo- five most famous golfers in the world, would you say? Mm-hmm. And he was in town in Jacksonville last January. We went out to dinner and no one came up to the table. No one said a word, nothing happened until we left the restaurant. One person that worked there recognized him, came out and got a picture. And like, what other sport can a top five, like can the, a top five player in the NBA or the NFL walk into a restaurant in Jacksonville and go uninterrupted or unrecognized it was unrecognized really for two hours you're sitting there and that golf is just like people the people are unassuming they're not you know you know physical athletes you know that's trending that direction bryson might be a different story but yeah. you know it, it's not it, they're just more relatable humans because you almost look at them and be like man like i probably could have done what you're doing if i'd have worked harder and figured it all out mentally like i don't look at a defensive tackle and think that i, I don't look at you know a power forward and think that, or, uh, you know, anything like that. So that's, that's what I think makes golfers a little bit more approachable. Yeah. And golf is kind of funny though, as well. Like what are you saying? Yeah. Like they can go unrecognized. Like Tom and I grew up in Edmonton where like hockey is everything. And anyone that plays on the Oilers is like a God. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter where, like we've chased players out of the city because they just get so much attention. It's like, God, I don't want to live here. The team sucks and I can't go out for lunch. You yeah. know, and it's, I'm sure that's anywhere in the States with an NBA team or an NFL team. And it's like, you could be no one on that team and you'll still be hounded where, yeah, Rory puts on a jacket and a pair of jeans. I probably wouldn't notice him either. I mean, yeah. He's my size, smaller. Yeah. Like he's not standing out, but. Um, Can I, we switch gears here yeah, and talk yeah, I was about thinking that? Yeah, working on your golf game, Solly, and like what what you've been doing there. And I cannot believe fresh that, off the Gasparilla. That, I cannot believe that there's a world where people like a- actually ask me on the record about my golf game. <laughs> we like, have, we is, followed it, man. We love. I it. know. It, I appreciate it. It's, it's like amazing <laughs> to me. Like it's against every one of my instincts. Like it's it's been. We're like fifteen months into like this amateur golf pursuit, whatever this amateur golf pursuit is that I've been on. And I'm just now getting comfortable with like, all right, it's time to make some content about this. Like people actually might care about it. Um, 
As a fan, I was pissed that COVID happened, that you didn't get to push for that U.S. Open qualifying chase. Dude, like. I was striping it last year too, man. <laughs> I really was. I really was. I had a lot to learn. You know, it, it, so what What basically happened um, around December of last year, and I would like for the record to state that this was not my idea. This was DJ Pie's <laughs> idea of he wanted to make a documentary about the U.S. Open, right? Like, it, you know, we watch the top pros that are exempt into it every year, but it's still so freaking cool that like, Anyone off the street could try to get into this thing. And we were going to follow a scratch-ish player's journey to try for that and other players as well. It wasn't going to just be about me, but the focal point was going to be like, all right, if you had the time and resources, and I was a two handicap at the time, could you dedicate yourself? How close could you get? Or could you qualify for the U.S. Open? And what would that process look like? And it was going to be, I went to Cameron McCormick and got a lesson. I went to Brad Fax and got a putting lesson. I put in so much work. I played golf with Jim Furyk. I played golf with Corn Fury guys and like we filmed it all and it was like train, train, train. How could you get better, get better? And I got, I, I will say it, I got good fast. I was stunned. I went from a 1.8 handicap to a plus 1.4 in like two weeks and oh, I had shit. never been that good before. I just hadn't, but it was like for the first time in my life, I felt like I had some runway to like work on it and go, go, go. And I started to tap into the mental side of golf and understanding how to trust your body and not program your body, not try to program your body to make swings, trust your instincts. I got to play with a ton of mini tour guys week after week, see where they hit it, see where they shave shots. And like through osmosis, like you, when you stand up on a tee and watch, you know, three dudes pipe one, your mindset as to where you're going to hit it has changed from like when you watch a guy pull one way left, you got see a guy hit one 220, and then you see a guy like kind of top one. Oh, your mindset's on not like 220. Uh, <laughs> your mindset is not going to be like, I need to be 295 on the left side of this fairway around the corner. Like your mindset's just going to be like, all right, let's, let's hit a good one here. And that yeah. just like changed me. I, I tried like trying to keep up with those dudes. And like at the end of the day, I'd look up and be like, Dude, I just shot like two under from the back tees. Like, I don't know when the last time I did that was. It was probably high school. Like, what the hell just happened? And played in my first tournament since high school, and I won it. And I, it was, listen, it was not the greatest field. Let's just be honest about that. But like, I just wanted to test my tournament nerves. And I felt them. I felt some bad things going on. I, I had to make a 15-footer for double on one of the holes. But like, I won the tournament, and I, my confidence was flying sky high. And you know, when, when COVID happened, I was, you know, I was approaching plus three and really, really feeling it. As soon as like a month into COVID, I shot a 64 for the first time ever. Ooh. And then it, I got, could I touched the sun, man. Like it, I just had nothing to play in. And like, you so my practice like kind of dwindled. Yeah. That my practice kind of dwindled as the year went on. Cause it was like, dude, like I was getting married, building a house. And it was like, what, what am I practicing for here? Like, I love this, but like, what am I building towards? And the second half of the year, I really struggled. I, you know, didn't really want to count it, but I was keeping track. Not keeping track, but I knew it had been like four months since I'd broken par. And I was breaking par once or twice a week in the spring. And I'd put all this time in. And at the end of the year, I had nothing to show for it. I was back totally at square one. And it just like, it was so deflating, man. It was so deflating to feel like I found it in golf and then at the end of this year where you played, I think 140 rounds of golf, like your handicap's literally higher. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> like you have, it's just like the worst feeling. It's the and so game. like, I was like, all right, how do you, 
I didn't want to change a lot. Didn't want to do a lot of lesson stuff because like I was playing the best golf of my life. Why would I want to change anything? And then I looked at some footage from when Neil and I played that tournament in December, saw my swing, and I was like, dude, this is not right. Like this is really not pretty. Like your elbow's getting way out here. The club is pointing this direction. I would hit these shots and look up and expect to see it here and the ball's here. And I couldn't understand it. So I watched the film and I was like, oh yeah, dude, your swing sucks. Like your fundamentals have gotten, you've gotten so much into the middle game, so much into just like ease your arm tension, use your body, blah, blah, that your fundamentals have completely broken down. So I went to my coach. I call him my coach. His name's Corey Lumberg. He, he works for Cameron McCormick at the Altus Performance Center in Dallas. Really, he's given me like two 30-minute lessons in my life, and it's all like via FaceTime. And I was just like, what do I do? And he's like, I've been waiting for your call. Here's what we got to do. And I had to change my takeaway. And you look at it on, on film, and man, it looks like a tenth of a degree different than what it previously looked like. But in my head, I am fearing missing the ball. It feels so different. And I had a tournament this past that, you know, that we're building towards this past weekend. That was like my, you know, that was the bumper. That's what we we're up against is like, all right, we tore the swing down on January, basically three. You have like 40 days to get ready for this thing. Like go. And I just yeah, worked, like worked, debutante ball. Yeah, I just worked, worked, worked on it. And like one, I'm talking like going out and shooting 82 and like waking up, moving up a set of tees and shooting 83 and like going back the next day for it again and shooting 80 and like not really making progress. But like I, I did not quit. I'm actually really proud of myself of like, all right, I did. Let's take a break. Today, we're just going to hit balls. Like today, we're just going to drill. Today, we're just going to do this. And like I broke par in one. I finally broke par. Took 156 days in between rounds, and I did it like two weeks before the tournament. And I was like, "Okay, here we go," and came into this thing, man, just like super nervous, like so nervous. I could have easily embarrassed myself. Like I, I didn't feel like I made all the progress that I needed to to be able to compete in that week. I didn't come in feeling amazing, but I trusted everything I'd been working on. And boy, did had show. just had just like imagine. I mean, I'm teeing it up against former pros. Uh, like literal state mid-ams from all over the country. If you win the state mid-am, you get invited to the Gasparilla. So I teed it up to just this past week with the Florida state mid-am, the um, play a practice round with the Kansas state mid-am and play with the Virginia state mid-am champ all. And I'm just this dude. I didn't play college golf. Like I'm this dude that is there because he has a podcast, not because I'm good mm -hmm. at golf. So like, I kind of walk around a little bit like I'm not supposed to be there. And Went out in the first round, made six birdies, and shot 67, my lowest ever round in competition. And I was Hell T5 yeah. uh, after day one, just like wondering. I, I went to the car and just like kind of welled up in my eyes a little bit. It was just like overwhelming for like the pressure I was feeling. I dead topped my second shot of the my second tee shot of the day. It went like miraculously went 140. <laughs> I didn't think it got off the tee, but it went like 140 yards. You get up, you're and like, oh, this is all right. I'm good. I had 190 into a 340 yard hole or something <laughs> like that. Um, and just like played, grinded my balls off, honestly, and just like played gritty golf and had the 67. Day two, I had a putt on the 12th hole to get back to three under to get within two of the lead with 24 holes to play in the tournament. Missed it, bogey the next, bogey the next, bogey the next, double the next. Oh that was when the rain was falling. That was like. It was, I was holding on for dear life, man. I had double rain gloves, like just getting drenched, and I don't handle that very well. And I faded ultimately to a T35 finish, but like 
looking back on the week, uh, my buddy that was Ben, Ben that was there with us who filmed it all. And I'm going to, we're working on the video content as it is. He gave me a B plus and I feel very good about that. Great. I hit some honestly unbelievable shots. Like you just don't know how your body's going to handle that. Like when you stand over a shot with, you know, a couple hundred people watching, like there are a lot of people out there watching. You can, I couldn't feel my hands. And like sure. your, your mindset goes not from like, let's hit the fairway here. It's like, let's hit the ball. Let's like make sure we make contact with the ball. And it is such a fun thing to experience and go through and, and mess around with. And it, to get that opportunity was, it's, it's like, it's, ex- I don't have anything else like that in my life that I compete in. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, like, I won't either. I'm not going to compete in cycling, swimming, whatever it is. Re- I'm not going to do any of that. Like, I'm going to compete in golf. Like, that's the only thrill I'm going to get like this. And, and it's just like a personal I, goal, though, as well. Yes. Like, you know, it is. What? it's like, like run a marathon. Yeah. And um, you know? even for myself, like, I've been, yeah, had a break from the game, came back and just been working on the swing. And yeah, the takeaway felt like it was, you know, I was going way inside. And then to take it out, you're like, Oh my God, like that is. I'm going to miss the ball to the left or like it's going to cut. I might hit my shins. Yeah. Like on the way down. Like it just felt like you're so far out. And it's just like the, that initial foot, when you really have to rebuild from that first foot away from the ball, you're like, oh, I don't know if I like this. Like, and to go out and play competitive golf after grinding through something like that, like that's awesome. Like, you know, like we kind of do some work in Vancouver here with the Vancouver Golf Tour. And, you know, I've spoken with, uh, the commissioner of the tour and I was like, Hey man, I'd love to play a, like a weekend event. Haven't played, you know, competitive golf since I was a kid. I'm like, I'd love to jump out there and jump into an event. And it's like, fuck, like you start thinking about like the training aspect and you're like, I don't know if I can do that. Like it's nervy as hell to even think about it. It honestly is man. And uh, I, so I wore a microphone for the whole thing too. So you're going to have all my audio and what you're going to hear is a lot of breathing. Like it, <laughs> was exhausting like i had to just so many after so many shots just like take a breath and just like i it it shouldn't be and like i have enough tournament experience that it shouldn't be that way but like it was very important to me so i couldn't fake that i wasn't hyped about it i couldn't fake like oh it's no big deal like it's just like any other round of golf because i've told myself it's important and that's something i need to work on mentally is like how do you program your mind like, how do you, I don't think and, you can. And, and look at the footage, like it, in my head, I'm like, everyone's gonna be able to tell how nervous I am. Like it, it has to be so obvious. And you look at the footage and you can't really tell, like you can't see what's going on in someone's mind. But I also don't know and, if you can train that. Daniel Berger just said it. He's like, it felt like having a heart attack, winning a PGA tour event. Right. And I talked to some of the other dudes that do this circuit a lot. Right. And I, I felt nervous because I didn't feel like I was as good as them. I'm not as good as them. And I don't do this as often as they are. So I look at them and think, this is so boring. This is so routine for them. And like mm-hmm. we got to drink and drink it and talking after one of the rounds and Devin Hopkins, like the top player in the Jacksonville area who I've tried to like buddy up with as much as possible. Cause I'm trying to learn from him. He was like, dude, do you not think I was nervous today? Like you're not special, man. Like we're all nervous. We're all competing in the same thing. We're all going through this. Like, don't try to pretend like you're the only one. He was, he was like, giving me tough love. Like, don't pretend like you're the only one nervous. Like we all are. Mm-hmm. And that honestly helped. Like it helped yeah. to, to, to like think about like, you know what? That dude should be nervous that I might beat him because he's he should beat me, right? And like he don't know he doesn't all his buddies are gonna text him like, Yeah, the no laying up guy beat you. Like that dude's a scrub. He's like, <laughs> you know, he can't even break 80 back home. So like that that part of that part was actually really fun. I actually played with a guy who who told me that he's like, uh, you know, he's like, Yeah, my buddies told me they're gonna roast me if you beat me today. But so that 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 part's like really fun to me. And like now, so now forever, I can take with me that 
in a tournament I cared more about than like I care as much about that as like Rory cares about the Masters, right? That's my biggest golf tournament of the year. Let's let's just that's the parallel. That in that situation, I beat everybody but four guys on the golf course out of 140 of the top mid ams in the country. It was one day. It didn't didn't last three days, but I did it. So I no longer have to convince myself that I can do it because I did it. Like I've done that now. And that's a huge step for me. I think it's like in terms of feeling like you belong and going out now, can I picture myself contending in one of these things? Absolutely. I did it. Like granted, I didn't make it to the final day and the final few pairings. I had a tough stretch to close out my second round, but it wasn't because I choked. It wasn't because I was nervous. Like I was nervous the first 30 holes and I played them in, in two under like, I wasn't more nervous in the last 24 that I played 10 over. It just like ran out of steam. It just stopped kind of working out for me. So, so the real question is, yeah, did the tour of sauce victories give you that confidence to get out there and, you know, perform like that? (laughs) I would love to be able to credit them, man, but it (laughs) is just not the same. It's, it's different. Playing on video like that is super distracting. It's like the rhythm is horrible. Like it's not, it's just like start and stop, and you got to go film for someone. Like that is really hard to play good golf on camera, mm-hmm. in that regard. But like this was all on camera, and I wasn't nervous about the camera. I barely even noticed the camera. Honestly, I think it might have even helped me at times. But it was just more so of like I'm signing my name to every one of these scores, and every single one of these four footers counts the same. And it, yeah, it, it is uh, just it's something that helps me understand tournament. I, I I talk about tournament golf all the time, right? And I probably talk about it differently now than I did a year and a half ago before I started playing these things again, because I, I had forgot, I'd lost touch with what it's like to compete in these things down the stretch and, and be able to, to like report and discuss on these things. Like not everything means something. If someone so hits a ball in a bunker, that doesn't mean he choked. That, do, that just means that he hit a bad shot in that situation. And kind of just all the appreciation I have for all the different playing styles and the, the things it takes to be great at golf I've gotten through playing tournament golf and playing with a lot of good players from all around the world and different ages. Like we were, Paul Simpson was staying in the house that we were staying in. And I don't know if you know that name or not. I did not. And I felt embarrassed that I haven't. He's won the North South am nine times. He has won the U S senior am three times the U S or the British am three times. He won the U S Canadian and British am all in the same year. The most unassuming guy physically you'll ever see. He's 69 years old now. And he just like talked to us about golf and confidence and how to compete and how to beat dudes that are more talented than you are. And it just like, it's the greatest game. The whole mid-am circuit is something that I think we're, we're just starting to tap into in terms of content and capturing like what makes, what do you do? Like once you've competed in golf and don't make it professionally, what do you do? And you go out and play these things and you go socialize with similar golf junkies that like, have this skill, but nowhere else to take it. And mm-hmm. this is like now what matters to you. Yep. And I'm totally caught up in it. Like I, it matters to me now. I am passionate about competing in golf that, you know, something I couldn't say 15 months ago. And, uh, it, it's a dangerous bug. I think it's something I want to continue to pursue for quite some time. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Like I, I grew up with this guy at the club I grew up at and he was at one point, probably one of the best amputee golfers on the planet, you know, one arm, one leg, no thumbs, literally played every single competitive golf event around the globe every club event he's smoking everyone by five to ten strokes like it's no problem for him to just go out there and shoot 64 like that's mm-hmm. normal and he's also like it's inspiring because you see him he's like hey do you want to take a want to take a jet today bob nope we're out here to golf we walk i'm like you only got one leg doesn't matter we're out here to grind 
And it's like, oh shit, like there's a mental shift when you see guys that are like, I'm here to fucking compete. I don't care what else we're doing here. Like I, I care about this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's so cool to witness that. Like when you see guys that really care about amateur golf, like competitive amateur golf. I, I'm lucky enough I get to play a good, a decent amount of golf with Jim Furyk, who has made. Yeah, you can look it up. You can look up how much money he's made on the golf course. And when there is twenty bucks, forty bucks, eighty bucks on the line on the last hole, that dude wants your money. Like he <laughs> wants it. Like he and I teamed up to play. You know, two other uh, pros uh, last year. I haggled some strokes out of it. Um, the pro, the mini tour guy we we play with shoots sixty one gross ties this, the course record that day and jim and i took 80 bucks off them which was like the greatest day of golf i've ever experienced in my life i think i got six strokes no i got four strokes and i made seven birdies and uh so like at, like we just offset all he and he offset all my bogeys and we took money off of him this dude shot 61 struggling to, like many tours like you know struggling to pay for q school all that stuff and like took the 80 bucks at the end. I mean, he bought us beers afterwards, but it was like, yeah, dude, I want to beat you. Like, I, I don't care. Like you set the stakes here. I didn't make you play for this money. You decided it on the first tee. I said, I'd play, but if I'm going to win, I'm going to take it like hundred percent. I'm going to take it. And I love that. Like that is, you know, that I needed to see that from a pro that's made a lot of money too. That like, I just want to beat you. Like I want to compete. And like those guys that have, you know, you know, made all that money. Like he wants to go compete on the champion store. I guarantee you, he doesn't care that, he makes 150 grand for third place or whatever it is. Cause like, that doesn't mean much to him. It's like, he just wants to be in the competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that competitive nature of them. Right. They just, it fuels them and stuff. And like this conversation has been inspiring in our partnership that we have with the VGT. I'm excited actually to get nervous as hell this summer and go with C pays and play in one of these. And like, dude, yeah, expose main- yourself, put yeah. yourself out there. That's where I'm at is like, and it's it's kind of cheesy, but it's like it's what Max said yesterday. Like there is no failure. You either learn or you, you succeed. Yeah. And that's where I'm at. It's like, dude, I've I've hung up an 84 in competition and signed my name to it. And like our message board follows me when I play, you know, events. And there's a Solly tracker on Twitter that tweets out my scores when I and like there's some embarrassing ones out there, but you have to like you do be it. okay with that. Yeah. You can't You're like fear it. Like crying, right? You're Tiger Woods shot 85 in a PGA tour event. Like it golf is not one person has ever fully figured it out. Not one ever. It's like the everyone true has exposure as well, like because it's you. Everything the, we've been talking about this a lot lately. How golf just has like it creates that ego side, and it's like God, it's very difficult to go. All right, I just got to step up and do this. This is on me. And it's yeah, it's exciting. And go, yeah, golf is essentially the game of life to me, right? And it's like I, putting yourself yeah. in these positions. You have to take the risks in life because, like you said, you either fail and learn from that or you succeed right and like the path to success is failing over and over again and learning from it right so it's just stand out in the wild naked and embrace the chaos i'll say at any level any level you play at playing in any kind of tournament flighted whatever it is that's going to teach you what you need to improve at Mm -hmm. and how to improve because you can play your same course same game same people and you're not simulating any kind of different conditions right so like i you know, I honestly didn't know the status of my game going into this thing. I didn't know how it was going to hold up in a tournament. It was better than I thought, like way better than I thought it was going to be. But I also walked away with a very clear picture of like, dude, you got to get better off the tee. Like this is what you have to do. You have to hit it right here. 
Also, the way you hit 25-foot putts, it's not the way the other guys do. They hit them to yeah. make them. You are hitting, hitting them to two putt. You're never going to win that tournament playing that way. You're just yeah. not. I stood over a lot of shots fearing hitting it out of bounds, and I watched guys step up, and they're not thinking about the out of bounds because they're trying to win the tournament. And I, here I am kind of trying to plot my way around. I, that, I needed to play. I played that course last week, two weeks ago, in a practice round, and I wouldn't, didn't think that way because I was just out there hitting it, sending it. If it goes OB, whatever. It's kind of a practice round. It's, it's whatever. And I wasn't exposing myself to what I needed to compete on that tournament. You have to do it under tournament conditions, experience getting that darn thing into the hole when you know that's all you want to do and you actually care about it. Like that's when you're going to learn how you're going to get better. That's the only way. And I've actually, you know, just said on the pod last night, like literally starting tomorrow, my speed's going up. I'm going to be the speed training's coming. I'm going to be at 120 swing speed before the end of the year. That's my new goal. Hell yeah. Actually, I wanted to be there before June. So I've been trying to do the same. So my another guy in the pod with me is with us. He's been forcing me just like, just swing harder, buddy. He's like, we're going to get this. He's like, just start pounding it. And you st- you start seeing it like come to fruition. Like you work on it a bit and you're like, oh, wow. Like I'd hit a bit harder. That went a little bit farther. Yeah. Like I played on the weekend and I hit a couple. I'm like, oh, I'm like, that is not normal for me like that is long so well i've never it's an incredible skill to have in golf and i've never bothered to learn how to do it like i've never bothered to like learn how to train your body to swing faster or the weights or the stretching you should be doing or any of that and uh i got some help with it and i'm literally starting tomorrow and i can't wait i love it well sully i can't wait to watch the progress of this speed training and hear how this is going and uh hopefully we got a new tony fino bit to run with for the next few months to keep us entertained every (laughs) single monday I'm going to propose a new bet to DJ this coming week. Anyways, it's your, I think you're going to like, so I'm, I'm excited. Are we going to get early access on this or is this something we got to wait for? I don't know if he's going to take it yet. No, it'll be breaking. <laughs> I'm still holding out hope that he's going to win concession, which might throw a little wrinkle in things. Because so. that is part of the bet. I mean, that should it be is. a double or nothing. I know. I just they conceded it. the waste management win to me, and if he wins concession, <laughs> yeah. then I'd technically win. But uh, I, I think it. I've won them over enough, and that's enough. That's all I needed for it. I don't think you'll Solly. ever win them over. <laughs> just want to let you know appreciate you coming on here and chatting with us it's been an absolute pleasure i'd love it if you tell big randy or dj that they're our next victims all right, right. well i'll warn them yeah appreciate you guys all your support and uh for having me on no we appreciate you man everything that you guys have been doing for the game besides knowing up trap draw everything that uh, the nlu universe has been putting out there that's exactly what we need for the game moving forward all right appreciate it guys thanks thanks man talk to you Yep, talk to you soon. Take care.